thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday today, and we're so excited to be able to do that. Before we go into the Word together, why don't we just take a moment and let's just pray over our time here together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your Word. We thank you that Jesus, you came as that spotless Lamb who died for our sin that you who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And as we celebrate you during this time, as we remember your sacrifice, as we remember your great love for us, help us to continue to trust in you more and more. Help us to rest solely in the hope that comes from you. And as we open your word today, pray that you would give ears to the hearers, and that you would just empower me by your Holy Spirit to speak truth in a way that will honor and glorify you, and may eternity be impacted as a result in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to talk today on this Palm Sunday message about preparing the way. So Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read about this triumphal entry of Jesus days before all of these events were going to unfold, really being the main reason that Jesus came to this earth, which was to die for the sins of mankind so we could be reconciled and redeemed um, back into right standing with God by his great sacrifice. So let's read this scene here in Matthew 21. We're going to read verse 1 through 17, so we're going to handle a good portion of scripture here. Matthew 21, verse 1 said, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So here the scene is set. Jesus has been telling people 
after he performed incredible miracles. Hey, don't go tell anyone, you know, don't let anyone know. Don't go and tell anyone. Jesus has been intentionally trying to avoid drawing attention to himself because he would tell them this. He'd say, my hour's not yet come. It's not time yet. But now his hour had come. It was time, and Jesus was now drawing out the crowd on purpose. He was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy, and the people were really excited about what was going on. They knew that Messiah was coming to set them free. Now, the Jewish people were living under Roman occupation, and they were rejoicing because now the Messiah had come. They were crying out, Hosanna, which means salvation is here, or save us. And they were, they were, they were saying, this is salvation. Save us now, Jesus. He would be their Savior. He would be their King. And they set out cloaks to honor Him, and they waved palm branches, which was a national sign of, of victory. And matter of fact, you can even look on a lot of the um, coins of the people of those days. They would always use those, those palm branches as a sign of victory, and they were preparing the way for Jesus to do for them what they wanted, which what a lot of them had been looking for was relief from the Roman occupation. They believed Jesus was going to come and save them, yes, but to save them from what? To save them from their current misery, to save them from their current challenges, to save them from the difficulty that they had been living under as these Romans are now occupying and, and running the show. And now he's going to come in and he's going to overthrow them. And man, they're excited about being saved because Jesus is going to come and do what they wanted him to do. They were preparing the way for Jesus because of what Jesus was going to do to improve their current situation, and that was their expectation in their minds. And as I was thinking about this and reflecting back, I was thinking we can do the exact same thing where we put our presuppositions and our idea of what Jesus is supposed to do for us and oh, I'll serve you, Jesus, as long as you do what I think you should do for me, or as long as you meet my expectations, or as long as you don't let me down in this area or that area. And, and so many in our world today have done this. And my question today is this, are we serving God or do we expect Him to serve us? As I was reflecting on Palm Sunday, I, I think that, that, that we can go through the motions of reading these stories and, and, and we may miss the bigger picture of what's happening here because this is setting the stage for major events that are about to take place and the same group of people who are cheering and crying out Hosanna are just a few days later going to be crying out crucify him. Give us Barabbas instead. You understand, this is the same group of people that Jesus healed, that he fed the 5,000, and they may have been there and actually partaken of, of, of those five loaves and those two fish that were miraculously multiplied. They heard the stories. Their dead were raised. They're, they saw the blind eyes open. They saw these miracles performed, the lame walking. They heard him teach, and they're worshiping him, but they're worshiping him and celebrating him for what he can do to meet their expectations, and they're missing the greater picture of what he's actually doing. And I think that asking this question, are we serving God or do we expect him to serve us? This is a fair question that we all need to ask ourselves because so many people try to place their expectations on God. And as long as God meets their expectations and he 
plays by our rules and meets our criteria, then we are happy to continue to do what we think will appease God. Things like, I'll keep going to church. I'll keep, you know, doing the, the giving thing. I'll keep doing the prayer thing. I'll try to be nice to other people, be benevolent. I'll try, to, try my best to avoid temptations and to avoid sin. And we think that that is appeasing God. And we will work hard to try to do those things as long as we feel like God is holding up his end of the bargain. And that end of the bargain oftentimes is meeting our expectations. And we put that on him and, and we expect God to do things our way. But God is God. God is for God, and He is for His glory. You see, we don't get the right as His creation to make demands of God. We have to remember something here. This is, this is not the way that God operates, the way we think in our culture and the way that our mindset is, where it's all about us, where we have an eye everything. We have an iPhone, we have an iPad, we have an iWatch, and we think we have an eye God where we want everything to be about us and meeting our expectations, and we'll play along as long as our expectations are being met. Because we bought into this lie that we think that meeting our expectations and our happiness is the goal, and so we pursue that. And if something's not giving that to me, then I'll just abandon it, or I'll be frustrated with it, and I'll be mad at God, or I'll be mad at the church, or I'll be mad at this or mad at that because I, I feel like I have not had my expectations met, and you should be working hard and striving to meet my expectations because we have bought into the lie that our happiness and our expectations being met is the goal. But as we see here, God is for His glory. And if we are servants of Him, then we are people who are trying to be vessels and servants of His glory, and pointing people to Him, not just us indulging in our idea of how God should operate. You've got to remember, He's God. He's the potter. We are the clay. He is the good shepherd. We are the sheep. We don't get the luxury of serving God on our terms. So many people want to do this. They'll, they'll follow God up to a certain point, and they'll agree and align with Scripture up to a certain point. And that certain point is where they go, oh, whoa, 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 well, oh, I mean, it's okay if we just live however we want to at this point, because, I mean, come on, God needs to get with the times. The Bible needs to be updated. I mean, do you think if the Bible was written in our day and time, do you think that if God actually had Scripture penned today, that He would still have the same values and the same ideas? Because some of those things are so archaic. Some of those things are just so ancient. People make these arguments. I saw, I, I, I heard a story, rather, of somebody who told me that there was actually a pastor that they talked to who told them, well, I think that if God were authoring Scripture today, that he would write some things differently. This is from a pastor. Come on. God sovereignly had Scripture authored and penned and combined and put together when he saw fit. And it's not to serve the culture. It's not to serve our ideology or our values because that's us saying our ideology and our values are somehow superior to the will of God. It's us promoting our agenda above what, what God says is holy, what God says is right, what God says is honoring and healthy and just. It's us trying to play by our own rules and make God fit into our mold. And this is nothing new. 
This is nothing we're just trying to do in our day and age. This has been happening since sin entered into the world. People wanted to make up their own ideas. Let's go over to Romans real quick. Let's just read this together. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let's look over at verse 18. When Paul is authoring this letter to the church in Rome, and, and, and what he's trying to communicate to them here is the, kind of this need for this message of the gospel. And he's trying to show them our fallen state and how like everybody's guilty. And he's trying to make a case here and lay the foundation for sharing the hope of the gospel. And so he does that in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 by writing this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We see here that this is nothing new, that this is this idea in our culture and in our society that wants to basically take the image of the incorruptible God and make him into an image like corruptible man, where we want to elevate our ideology above God and try to make God fit into our mold, where we want to pick and choose. And that's exactly what we see happening even on this beautiful Palm Sunday where we're celebrating as people were going, yay, Jesus is here, save us, woohoo, save us from those little nasty Romans, save us from our, 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 our persecution that we've been enduring and our oppression that we've been living under. Save us from that so we can now be free. Come and, come and, 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 and take them over with a sword. And, and Jesus just kept over and over again, actually since his, his, his immaculate conception was just disappointing people's expectations. I mean, the king being born in a place where animals eat, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it was scandalous. I mean, being, being, being a guy from Nazareth, does anything good come out of Nazareth? He just kept disappointing them over and over again. Because why? He wasn't meeting their expectations because everybody thought that Messiah was going to come this way and do these things. And so now maybe we've seen enough miracles, we, we've heard enough stories, maybe now we can buy into it. So now we're doing the same thing. We've got a little taste and we've seen that, that, that there's something special here. If this is indeed the Messiah and all this stuff is lining up, buddy, we're about to get what we've been hoping for, what we've been expecting. And I bet every generation was, had their own different expectations they had their own different thoughts about what Messiah was going to come and do because the way they were interpreting and, and reading into the text was based off of what they wanted him to do. It's like, okay, yeah, it's cool if he does this, but 
we really need him to do this because they were so focused on the now and they were taking this perfect Christ who had come to redeem and save mankind and they were trying to change and manipulate it just solely for their benefit. The same crowd that was shouting, Hosanna in the highest, is about to be saying, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. Give us Barabbas. What are we going to do with Jesus? Crucify him. You see, we, we, we always think when it comes to people that don't know Christ, if, if, if God would just intervene and do something incredibly supernatural, everybody's eyes would be open and they would just believe. Why doesn't God do that? Jesus spent three and a half years doing ministry and doing all kinds of signs and wonders and, and miracles. And when the Pharisees demanded a sign, when they wanted a trick, Jesus said, you wicked and perverse generation who demand a sign. What sign did he give them? The word. He gave them the word. He said, this is going to be the sign to you. And he began to quote about Jonah. He began to quote the scriptures. And he said, this is going to be the sign that I'm legit, not the fact that I can open the blinded eyes. But that's what people think. They think that if, if, if God would just fix this person's situation, if he would just miraculously intervene where this person is struggling, then maybe they would believe. Yeah, maybe they would. But guess what? There were hundreds and if not thousands of people who probably witnessed so many miracles and they were still shouting crucify him. Why? Why? Because at the core, they were still dealing with putting their own presuppositions, their own expectations on the way God was supposed to operate. And so, oh, wow, that was neat. Yeah, that might get me to follow Jesus for a little while. Just like you remember the story of the 5,000 that were fed. I mean, they just counted the men in that group. So there were thousands and thousands of people fed with this little boy's lunch. It's incredible. Everybody's following him. Jesus has got a huge mass following him of thousands of people. And he turns around to the crowd. I mean, this is your high point. Jesus, you are popular at this point. And he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And they're all like, yeah, we're out of here. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want anything to do with this. And then he looked at his 12 disciples who had remained. And you would think he would go, hey, guys, we just, we just lost a lot of people. Let's, let's do some damage control. No, Jesus said, you guys going to leave too? <laughs> Peter speaks up. He says, Lord, you, you have the words of, of life. I, no, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I, I see the value here in you. So many people missed it. So many people missed it. The signs aren't enough. The miracles aren't enough. That's not what just wins people to Christ. That's not what gets us to rest and trust in him. When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, do we still follow him? When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, because he will not meet all of your expectations. I struggle with a song that, that, that we sing sometimes, and I have to kind of put my, my, my mind in, in, a, in a healthy frame of reference, because I know the intent of the song. But it's the song, The King of My Heart. And, and in the bridge, it says, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. And it's true. He isn't going to let us down according to his goodwill, his good pleasure, and his plan. But if we're singing that song according to our expectations being met, we could sing it this way. Eh, you're going to let, you're going to let me down. <laughs> because he is. 
He's going to let you down if you're trying to put God in a box and tell him how to operate. If you're going to tell him what to do, what to meet, and when to meet it, and how it's supposed to go, and you're trying to control God, listen, that's not our role. Even, even God, when he speaks to Job, when he confronts Job, when Job starts getting in this complaining mentality, God just says, hey, where were you at? Were you there when the foundations of the world were created? Were you there, big boy? Like he just puts it into perspective by telling Job, listen, I'm God. Where were you at, okay? Are, are you the one who keeps all this, flung the stars in the sky? Is, is, were you there? He's like, no, you weren't there because you're not God. So our role in this thing is to trust him. Our role in this thing is to rest and trust and deepen that trust. That's why he's given us his word. That's why he's given us the opportunity to be able to pray and commune with him and to have relationship with him. That's why he's given us the church to have Christ-centered community. That's why he's given us all these opportunities to begin to deepen that dependence and that trust and to be sharpened and reminded that's what we're doing here today, is reminding one another and sharpening one another. That's what we're doing, whether you're in your home or whether you're, 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 you're on the road listening to this, or whether you're in a hotel room or whatever the case may be, and you're listening and, and you're watching, it's about deepening our trust in Him because your expectations will go unmet at various points in your life. And there will be times where if you're trying to follow God for how he meets your expectations, I promise you, you will be disappointed. But when you deepen your trust in him, yes, Lord, I want to deepen that trust. I want to know you more because you are worthy of me devoting everything to you. Let's go over to Luke chapter 19. Let's look at this story from Luke's account because Luke brings out a few things that I want us to talk about. Luke chapter 19 we're going to read the same account that was in Matthew, but he's just, uh, he, he, he brings out just a few different details here that I think are important. And let's look at what happened next in the story too. Luke 19, and let's pick it up in verse 35. Luke 19 and verse 35. Scripture says this, and they brought it to Jesus, talking about the colt. They brought the, 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 the colt to Jesus, and they set Jesus on it, and they threw their cloaks on it. Verse 36, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So what happens next in this story after this great celebration, after he's paraded through the streets, after people are waving palm branches, 
after they're laying their cloaks down on the ground, after they're celebrating him, after this confrontation with the Pharisees who are saying, rebuke your disciples, Jesus looks over the city and he weeps. Why is he weeping? Because he knows they're missing the hour of their visitation. His heart is heavy and he's weeping because he knows that all the miracles he's done, all the words he's spoken, all the things that he did, all, the, all, all of the situation, life changes that were made available by the miracle-working power of God still did not open their eyes. The prophecies that had been taught and learned by these Pharisees and, 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 and all of the teaching that had been done in the temple and the hopefulness of the people of Messiah coming, that they were missing the hour of their visitation. It was happening before their very eyes and they didn't know it. And it caused Jesus to weep over the city because he knew that they were not getting it. And he loved them. They were celebrating him and he's weeping for them. They're cheering and he's crying. They're celebrating and his heart is heavy. You see, he, he then goes, and we don't know if it was in that same moment. Odds are it was probably the next day, according to most scholars and most theologians who have kind of broken this down a lot deeper and who are a lot smarter than me, but they think it was probably the next day that Jesus goes and starts turning the tables over in the temple. That was one of the very next actions that happened after this huge celebration and after this morning of, of, of Christ over those who would miss the hour of their visitation. I think it's very interesting that he goes into this and that's the next thing Scripture tells us about what Christ did because he deals with their sin. He deals with their perversion of worship and how people had actually been turned away from being able to worship because it wasn't at all what people were expecting from someone who was just celebrated. Could you imagine the, the talk going around the town? Could you imagine what was happening? Everyone going, oh, wasn't that party for Jesus great yesterday or a few hours ago? Oh, what's he up to today? Oh, did you hear he's like in the temple, like throwing tables over and running people out of the temple? Whoa, what? Did this guy just snap? Did this guy just lose it? Is he off his rocker now? I mean, could you imagine the conversations people were having, how they were beginning to doubt, how they were beginning to go, oh, maybe we shouldn't have celebrated him or what's going on. You see, we can be so blinded by our own presuppositions and expectations that we miss what God is actually doing around us and what he's doing among us. Even during this time of this global virus and this crisis and all we want, all we want, if we're honest, is for it to just be over. We just want to stick our heads in the sand you know, like an ostrich, and then when we pull our heads out, hopefully everything has been fixed. We turn on the news every day hoping there's either a cure or God has miraculously just vaporized it or that we find out it was all just one big hoax or whatever the case is, and everybody's going back to work and everything, all the engines are turned back on and the economy's back up and everyone goes back to work and we're all happy and we can just go back to our normal lives, and that's all we want. And we, all we want is our kids to go back to school, right? Some of you... But at the same time, sometimes we're wanting what we want so badly that we're missing out on what God is doing. We're missing out on the opportunities in front of us because we're so concerned with God meeting our expectations and we just sit on our hands until we get our way. We sit on our hands till we feel like it's safe to go out, until we feel like it's safe to, to do something for God again, you know, to begin to appease Him again now that He's 
met our expectations. But we'll miss it. Because I believe what the enemy meant for destruction, God can use to strengthen His church. God is using to strengthen families. More people are connecting in ways they have not connected. Because now we're having to, we're having to be, we're faced, we're forced to be with each other in ways we weren't before. Before we could escape at work. Before we could just ignore the children because they were at school. Now everybody is just together. We're staring at each other and we don't know what to do because we've lost knowing one another because we've been so busy in pursuing our selfish pursuits that now we're faced to do it. Now to where we casually would gather at church and maybe we would go, oh, I'll miss. It's not a big deal. I won't come to church. I won't gather with the saints. Now we're going, I've got to gather with the saints. And we're looking for any opportunity to do that. Folks, I see that as a great thing. Because it's returning us to things that are healthy and that are God-honoring. And we'll miss it if we're just waiting for everything to get back to our version of normal. We'll miss what God is doing because we're waiting on God to do what we expect Him to do instead of acknowledging the good that is happening and the opportunities that are in front of us. We can be so blinded by this. So many things I've asked God to rescue me from in life and to bail me out of, I can now look back and I can be thankful in his delaying resolution. I can, hindsight is what it is, right? I can look back and I can go, wow, God, you were good when I felt like I was all alone. You were still right there. You hadn't left me. You hadn't forsaken me. You were right there in that struggle, right there in that trial. So I have to ask the question, what is my role? If my expectations are not met by what Jesus is working in me and through me. If it's not going the way I wanted, is he still worthy of me following him? Am I serving him or am I asking him to serve me? Am I being like the people shouting Hosanna and then when I'm not getting what I thought I wanted, then I just immediately turn because it's not happening according to my plan? Or am I going, no, Jesus, you are worthy to be trusted. I need to trust that he's good. I need to trust that he's worthy to be followed. And guess what? He gets to be good on his terms. Not on your terms, not on mine. I have a definition of what I would call good. And honestly, my definition of good is mostly wrapped up in me getting my way most of the time, if I'm honest. Justice would be served in my eyes if things would always operate according to my plan. But guess what? Not my will, Lord, but yours be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're the sustainer. You're my source. Not the government, not my job, nothing, no one else, you and you alone. Because everything else could be taken from me. Everything else could be gone in an instant. And at the end of the day, what am I left with? If I have Jesus, do I still have enough? Yes, I know I'll be hurt. Yes, I know I'll have to go through the pain of, of the emotional processing and, and grieving. Yes, I know I'll, I'll, I, may, I may have bouts with fear and anxiety. Yes, those, those things are, 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 are things we wrestle with. I get that. But at the end of the day, when the dust settles, where did I run? What did I run to? Where did I go? Folks, our help comes from the Lord, and His plans are bigger than my timetable and my wants. His plans and His good that He is working for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose are greater than our hopes or our expectations. He is good. He is God, and He is worthy to be followed and trusted. I believe that we can prepare the way 
for the return of Christ by how we live today. We can be preparing the way. Here at Word of Grace, one of our core values is that we say that we say yes to greater things because we are called to live in light of eternity. We trust Him enough through the trials and the storms, even if our lives are required of us because we're living for something so much greater. Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm that's the beauty of being in Christ is that we're living for the glory of God and not for our own comfort. If I chase my own comfort, I'm chasing that line, that finished line that keeps moving. <laughs> I feel like I get closer to comfort. I feel like I get closer to getting everything set. I remember some of the best advice I ever got was from a pastor friend of mine who pastors a big mega church, 5,000 people. And, and, and uh, we were talking about stuff and uh, I forget what I asked him, but I, I remember his response. He said, Derek, he said, never try to make your goal as a pastor to get everything in the church set. He said, when I was younger, he said, I would make it my goal to try to get everything just set. If I just had this board member, if I got rid of this board member... <laughs> If I just had this staff person, if I just got rid of this staff person, if I had this ministry or this outreach, if I had this budget, if I had these opportunities, if I had these connections in the community, if I had these relationships, he said, and I would just beat my, my brain just, just thinking about all of the different pieces that if I could just have this perfect setup on the chessboard, that I would be set up as a pastor to lead and really accomplish something significant for the kingdom. And he said, one day I realized I've been spending half of my life trying to get everything set. He said, stop doing that. Stop trying to get everything set because what are we trying to do often? We're trying to control outcomes. We're trying to create predictable outcomes because we want to be able to, to find our security in what we can control. And folks, true security and true peace is not in what we are able to control, but rather it's in resting in our identity in Christ and living for a purpose greater than ourselves, greater than our comfort, because there are brothers and sisters all over the world right now who are still meeting in secret. There are brothers and sisters all over the world who can't freely just click on the computer and, and just watch an internet stream and gather in their living room and, oh, maybe we'll, we'll have some family members over and celebrate. We'll worship together openly and freely and we'll just order a Bible off of Amazon and, you know, oh, my, my two-day shipping's delayed and it's going to get here four days now. Oh, no, what am I going to do? You know, this, this life that we live, you've got to realize this is not the normal experience for everyone in the world. It doesn't make us better but we have to be mindful. There are those who, man, they don't get that opportunity to freely worship and gather, but they still do. Why? Why? Because they found something greater than their comfort. They don't meet because they get to sit in a comfortable chair in, an, in a climate-controlled environment. That's not why they meet. They don't, they don't meet because they get their special parking space every week. And they don't meet because the worship band's really good or the pastor is really funny, or whatever, they meet because they love Jesus. And they found a purpose worth giving everything to. And folks, I believe that as we prepare the way, as we pursue Him, as we lean into Him, as we trust into Him more, that we can develop that type of heart for God where we truly begin to grow in the value of seeing who He is and what He's done 
And I don't want us to miss it. I, I, that's my heart as your pastor. I, I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us to miss recognizing the value of the opportunity Christ has given us because we want things to go our way. The people that we just read about on Palm Sunday missed Jesus. They missed their hour of visitation because they wanted him to conform to their way, their expectation. And I don't want us to miss out on what he is trying to show us because things may not be going according to our plan. I don't want word of grace to miss out on getting wrapped up in ourselves and what we can't do that we miss out on what we can do and what God is calling us to do right now. Things are not going the way we hoped in 2020. Let's just be honest. So what? God is still on the throne. You are still his child. Heaven is still your home if your faith is in Christ alone. You still have a mission and a purpose for which you were created. Maybe you were expecting him to come and rescue you out of your current situation, but instead he came and overturned your tables. Maybe he wants to reset things and refocus your priorities to line up with his values and his priorities. He doesn't want you to miss this opportunity. This opportunity that we have to be the church, for us to stop playing games and get serious about our faith, for us to actually trust him and not just sing about it and say it and post it online and hear sermons about it, but to actually do it, to be doers of the word. Preparing the way means we prepare the way his way. We're preparing and expecting and setting our expectations according to his plan, not ours. Your will, Lord, not mine. So I'm going to trust and rest. I'm going to serve you because you alone are worthy. He's good in the middle of the storm. We need to live like eternity matters, church. We need to serve God and love people like eternity matters. We need to lead our family to Christ like eternity matters. We need to return to a priority on prayer like eternity matters. We need to share the gospel with other people like eternity matters. We need to evaluate our own heart and our own motives and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling like eternity matters. Let's be the church and prepare the way for the Lord. So what I want to ask us to do in this moment is I want us to take a moment and examine our hearts right where we're at. If you're in your living room, if you're in your basement, if you're on your phone, whatever, stop the distractions, okay? Can we just take two minutes and pause and do business with God today corporately? Can we just unify around this where all of us together, where, whether maybe you're, you're joining in live or maybe you're catching this post live, it doesn't matter, where all of us are agreeing as a, as a church family, as believers in Christ says, we're going to corporately pause and stop and ask, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? What is he stirring in you during this message, during the celebration of Palm Sunday? Can we just take two minutes together corporately and remove distractions, evaluate our current level of submission and trust and our source of trust? and our response to what God's trying to do in us and through us, especially during this challenging time when it isn't going our way. How can we live in light of eternity? Hosanna, save us. Jesus, our salvation has come. Help us to trust. Help us to trust you more. Let's just take two minutes together.
God, we ask you to just continue to help us to see the things we need to see. That you're dealing with us about whether it's something we need to repent of, whether it's an action we need to take, whether it's apathy we're being shaken from, whether it's a next step that you want us to take, whether it's a stirring and renewal of making that fire and passion for you alive again and stoking those flames, or whether it's a call to a deep place of thoughtfulness and intentionality like never before. Maybe it's conversations that need to happen among husbands and wives or conversations that need to happen where parents are instructing children and and working with them in a more intentional way to help disciple them and develop them and help them to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness. Whatever it is, Lord, help us to say yes to those greater things. Help us to prepare the way. Help us to do, Lord, what's going to bring you glory and what's going to get people ready for the return of Jesus. What's going to let the most people know about your free gift and how much you love us so that their hearts and their lives and their eternities can be forever impacted and changed by the message of the gospel. We thank you for doing the hard work in us all. Let us not just be hearers of this word today, but let us be doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen.